got a lot to say about the world I occupy every day. But when I say what's on my mind, I find I piss people off. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. I'm Emily Yates. And I'm Sarah Baranowskis. And our guests this week are Talia Keys, musician, activist, and all-around badass loudmouth for justice, and Milan Atkinson, audiovisual production extraordinaire. So people, I just think, don't realize how close every, every person is. And how fucked up is that? We're the richest nation, but everybody is like two paychecks away from being homeless? Yeah. You know, what the fuck is that shit? We're the workforce. We're creating all the wealth. Like, why are we not getting it back? It's just perverted. They're both longtime friends of mine and now friends of you. But before we jump into that, if you have been enjoying what you have been hearing right here on this very podcast, I have really good news for you. All you have to do to show us that you have been loving us is rate us and review us on your platform of choice. We're not even asking you for money. It's kind of amazing. We might. We're going to, actually. We're going to be asking you for money before long. So take advantage of the fact that right now all we're asking you for is love and, um, you know, ratings. Because numbers, I guess, are what makes this weird world of ours go round. And, uh, yeah, so thank you so much for listening. We've got a really great episode for you uh, this time, and we're calling it exist loud and here to start us off with the right energy is talia keys and her song we're here
Natalia Keys, my amazing musician friend who also is an activist and an advocate for all of the people in this world who have less of a voice than they should have. So we're also here with Milan Atkinson, who is Talia's partner in all kinds of amazing things, not only life, but audio and video and uh, technical everything. And we're so happy to have you both here. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Hey, welcome. Awesome. So um, let me let me say the, the things that I am aware of. And I'm sure there's even more going on that I'm not aware of. You are running the uh, Salt Lake City Rock Camp. You're also doing work with the houseless community in Salt Lake City, which is extremely inspiring. And I kind of, um, I really, really want to hear about that. And then you're just doing constant live streaming and musicking and uh, giving of your wonderful energy and talents to the world so is there anything i missed oh radio show yeah radio show yep brand new radio dj for the local community radio station um it's called krcl it's 90.9 fm in utah um and it's been around for 40 years they just had their 40th birthday and it's been like the place where activism has always been talked about where they've always had queer representation they've always had diversity um, different music, different voices. So that was a dream come true. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, that's the best thing that happened this whole pandemic, in my opinion. Yeah. It's amazing that you're able to still keep, you know, even though it's, you know, we're all feeling the, the shittiness of not being able to perform and the sort of energy suck that is like the live stream, like give out, but not like receive as much energy it's great that you're at least able to have that further amplification of like terrestrial radio what, what? <laughs> yeah old school doing it the old school way you know um it's it is rad because it's a connection and i don't have to say much like i like to talk i like to use my platforms but in radio i don't have to say much so it's nice like i can play it let the music do the talking um and just have a voice and it gives me something to do also, you know, take up time. Yeah. It's a, it's a, that's the thing that we're all trying to do right now is grapple with all of the time that we suddenly have. Right. Yeah. I would love to hear about how you got into the, the work with the, it's called camp last hope in Salt Lake. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how you got into doing that work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Milan and I both were pretty, we've always been passionate. You know, this whole pandemic, we've been raising funds for the VOA, which is the Volunteers of America, the Homeless Youth Resource Center, for the Road Home, which is one of the main shelters. Um, And so we've always cared about it, but being able to fully see what's going down uh, during the pandemic just amplified everything. And what had happened in Salt Lake City is that the health department had come in with police officers, bulldozers, um, and you know all this muscle, and they came in and basically they do a, they call it um, leaf blowing, where they clean up the camps, they push them out, they destroy all their belongings, and they move them down the street. And they do they like to tell us you know that we have resources there, that there's people there to help these people, but there isn't. There there's just cops there harassing and pushing people out. A lot of times these unsheltered folks could be at work. They do it in the middle of the day 
They do it usually around four o'clock, right before it's about to get dark and cold and freezing. Um, and a lot of people might not even be there. You know, there might have been a warning that there is a cleanup, but they still had to go to work that day. They didn't have time to pack up their entire life, you know, and put it where. Um, and we have this huge crisis all across America. We all have seen it. You know, our last six years of touring, I've seen the amount of people on the streets almost double in every major city. And it just it's just heartbreaking. Um, and so we one of these big pushes happened and it was literally the day before the coldest day. They knew it. They had two weeks of nice. They had two weeks of nice weather where they could have done this. But no, they waited. And why they waited was the election. They wanted the mayoral election to happen. Uh, the county mayor, they wanted to. They had, there was some seats that were up for grabs. So they waited and the, the election happened. Boom. They did this huge cleanup. Um, over 60 people got pushed you know, two huge trucks full of tents and sleeping bags and medicine and IDs and dog food and food and clothes, like everything gone. Um, so a local activist, her name's Ty Bellamy, and she's with Black Lives for Humanity Movement. And she has always done work around our unsheltered community, but she said, no, this is enough. Basically her and a couple of, I like to say that they're hippies, you know, a couple of hippies, couple of regular folk, mm -hmm. our friend who goes to Burning Man and helps run Burning Man every year. Um, they all decided to do a guerrilla camp, an encampment. Uh, so there's this spot underneath the freeway, the overpass there that they have taken over. It's owned by Union Pacific Railroad. It's also city land. Um, and so for the last, I want to say they've been there over a month now. There has been a steadily growing population at Camp Last Hope. And the residents called it that. They called it Camp Last Hope because they're sick and tired of being pushed out, of being disregarded, of being treated like garbage. And so Milan and I got involved because our friends were on the street streaming. Our friend does a thing, her name's Barbara Ella, and she does ground level news. You can look it up on Twitch or Facebook. And she was streaming down at the camp and, you know, it just broke my heart. That for me was like, okay, money isn't doing it. Donating money is just not enough. It just isn't, you know, it, it means well, but it really boots on the ground is where it's more important. So we went down that first night to drop off some snacks to our friends, drop off a battery pack, a solar battery pack. So she had a way to charge her phones to keep streaming. And a dad and his son walked up and they're staying there. And to me, you know, they look just like my cousins, my uncles, you know, they just look like regular people. Cause guess what? Unsheltered people are regular people. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Weird concept, huh? But that, that just hit me. And I immediately broke down in tears. And from that moment on, Milan and I said, we have to do more. So yeah, Milan, you agree? What, how did you, how did you want to get involved? Exactly that same way. Like we had to. It's. Yeah, they need help. And the city's not really doing it. Yeah, the city has been a huge letdown. You know, our mayors, uh, we constantly, people will tweet at her, send emails, we've called, we've done everything. I've been in contact with the, the director and they still call it homeless outreach. <laughs> the director of homeless outreach in Salt Lake City. And she's, you know, just basically blamed the mayor's office. The mayor's office blames her. They all blame the health department. And bottom line, there's no public restrooms in downtown Salt Lake City. You have to be a patron of a store. You have to either use a gas station, which you often have to buy stuff. They often kick people out. 
there are not public restrooms. There is probably about four porta potties in the entire downtown area serving probably 400 unsheltered people. Um, and so their whole thing is we have to do these cleanups because we're, you know, it's, it's unsanitary, it's not safe. Um, and so that's their thing. So I approached it and said, well, provide bathrooms. You know, simple as that. Just provide bathrooms. Um, right. The money's there. Yeah. And they didn't. They still have not provided bathrooms to this day. Over a month of me asking, hounding, emailing probably five times a week. Um, what we did is we got our own bathrooms down there uh, temporarily. We were able to fundraise. It's just hard when you don't see action from the places that we've been paying taxes, right? We all pay into the system. The system should be helping these people, and they're just not. They're deciding to jail them, you know, arrest people. They're deciding to push them off to the side, and literally they call it leaf blowing, as if they're garbage. Um, and so how could we not get involved? Uh, and what's really cool is it's a guerrilla effort. There has been some outreach from these groups, but actually someone from the road home told me I was making these people uh, be unsheltered for longer. Like basically telling I'm enabling these folks and, and saying that, you know, what it really comes down to is self-determination. And I was like, oh, bitch, what did you just <laughs> say to me? Like, you know, self-determination. You don't think it takes self-determination to sleep on the streets in 15 degree right. weather, you know? And then get up in the morning and go to work, take tracks, take the train to work and then come back to your tent and sleep in 15 degrees again. Like they're so they're just wildly out of touch. There's also been complaints. We have a trans person living at Camp Last Hope and they get mocked by employees of this shelter. So she does not feel safe going there because they mock her genitals. We kid you not. Um, and these have been brought up to people. These have been brought up to directors and managers. And y'all, we live in Utah. We live in Utah. Yeah. Can I remind you that? It's yeah. it's hard. Yeah. It's rough here. <laughs> it's happening in Denver, Colorado, though, too. When you were describing the sweeps, we've had similar sweeps. I think their strategy, from what I've been following, um, and I'm not, I live north of Boulder, so I'm not as hooked in with the activism on the ground around unsheltered folks in Denver, but I've have been following some accounts on Instagram where they'll go in early in the morning. Mm -hmm. So like really, really early in the morning. And cause there were people out there like the Denver wall of moms trying to stop them at certain times. They kept rescheduling it earlier and earlier. So very yeah. similar. Michael Hancock, yeah. real piece of shit. <laughs> Mayor of Denver, even a place that's supposedly <laughs> all progressive like Denver, the way they treat unsheltered people is Unfortunately, very similar to Salt Lake. Portland, too. I mean, the, a similar stuff is happening in in Portland um, to encampments in different neighborhoods um, all over the city. And it's, yeah, it happens in these progressive, you know, sort of um, bastions or whatever. You know, the the progressive collective radius there, it's almost like a... A backlash to people becoming more humane is to like lock back down on their cruelty. I don't. I'm Boulder. I don't know if they've done 
sweeps, but what they'll do is they'll pass laws like you can't smoke cigarettes outside in this certain block area. And of course, because it's Boulder where everyone's all healthy, there's like, oh, it's for public health. It's like, I'll tell you, I've been outside of the Boulder Theater, like smoking a cigarette, and I'm not the person they're after. They're after the unsheltered people. It's another excuse to give them a ticket to run them out of where they are. And Boulder has passed a bunch of bullshit laws like that. Like these, like death by a thousand cut strategy. So, and this is Boulder, Colorado, supposedly like, again, like the bastion of like progressive politics or whatever, but. Yep. Yeah. And that just goes to show, I mean, it's a nationwide problem. We need to fix it. Like it, it boils down to obviously a living wage, affordable housing, and in all reality, universal health care. The majority mm-hmm. of people that we talked to down at the camp are down there because they had an injury. They had mm-hmm. an injury on the job. One fellow I met broke his back and neck on the job. The place he was working for did not have workman's comp. It was probably under the table. He lost everything. He had to go get surgeries and got hooked on painkillers, right? And he's hooked on painkillers. Then he loses his house. He loses his wife. He loses everything that he has. He lost his job. And it's just this like perpetual cycle. He can't pay his medical bills. He can't catch up. And then he gets on the street. Then he gets a ticket for being outside or whatever, right? Then he can't pay that. And then he gets a ticket for that ticket. And then you get a ticket for that ticket. And it's just, it's fucking so inhumane. It is so wrong. And, you know, Utah is one of the most Christian places in America. They certainly do not treat people like fucking Jesus would. That's the, that is the Christian paradox these days. It's like, I almost as soon as someone says they're Christian, I assume that they act the exact opposite as Jesus did, because that's it's if they and if it's the other way around, it's the exception, not the rule. I mean, before like not to go all the way down the reality rabbit hole, but like let's like let's like zoom out, but like in a little bit, but like to like capitalism. Let's just let's just say capitalism because it's. That's where we end up with what we have in this country, this hyper, hyper individualized profit based economy where everybody's value is based on like how much they produce and how much they um, how much they can exploit other people for. (laughs) Like when we look at that, that even like the version of that that we have in this country is even more harmful than the version of that in like so many other countries in the rest of the world to the extent that like it's eating us like we don't even to the extent that we don't even know how much more our taxes should be working for us like you're saying all we there are the tax dollars to pay for everyone to do anything and feed themselves what they want like all of us, it's there. Like, just don't make two F thirty five bombers. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> or and how get about... Bezos to pay his fair share of taxes. There you go. Tax Trump. Tax Bezos. Tax these yeah. billionaires. You know, there'd be Trump more doesn't than even have billions. Like, yeah, true. Tax that. <laughs> Bezos and Elon Musk. Like, leave Trump alone. Like, literally, he doesn't even need to matter anymore. <laughs> true. Ever. Amen. He Amen. He's the one life who doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, Touche. <laughs> but it is capitalism. And, you know, when it when you break it down and you think about the people that are actually creating the wealth, Milan is often telling me this, you know, uh, Milan, tell us. 
Right? <laughs> like, why am I speaking for you? Go ahead. <laughs> You're great at speaking. Uh, well, I mean, like, we're the workforce. We're creating all the wealth. Like, why are we not getting it back? It's just perverted. Yeah. The whole system's right. perverted. It was designed by perverts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, both of your professions, um, you know, as in the music world and the entertainment world are being so heavily um, impacted by this uh, by this pandemic that people with uh, the, the people that benefit the most from your entertainment, you know, from the music you put out, you know, the people who can consume, who can afford to consume are also the ones who are able to like insulate themselves from the harshest um you know, impact of the pandemic, you know, they can still afford to go see those socially distanced shows, uh, and which are only getting, you know, booked for acts who can draw enough to make it worth it. So it's like all of the acts that are playing the size rooms that y'all are playing are not able to, to make a living when, if all the people who were normally, who are paying for these private gigs are being taxed appropriately, then you don't have to worry. Like you make the music that you make, you know, you can, you know, this. I totally, (laughs) and I, you know, I totally agree. You know, I think that we have seen the real realities of like, Oh man, I lost my job, but I didn't lose my house. You know, I didn't, I still have food. I still have my medicine. Number one, like I'm type one diabetic. My insulin is expensive as shit but I still have it, you know? Um, but yeah, like, I think it's a big wake up call. I think this is going to be a big wake up call and a big, like clear, just like divide of what really matters in your life anymore. That's how I've kind of thought about it. Mm -hmm. Like what, what gigs are worth playing after this? What's going to be my cost? What's going to be what I put out there? Um, and so that's why we've been doing all free online shows. You know, we've just been doing free online streaming, making it accessible to people. But then we're like, well, how accessible is that? You have to have good internet. You got to have a cell phone. Um, but we have seen that change. What's crazy though, is Utah, they're just doing it. Bars are open. Musicians are playing fucking shows. People are going balls to the wall. There was huge New Year's Eve events, like raves, maskless raves in Utah. And Milan and I mm. have not played a single public show since March. Yeah. Not a single one, you know? And it's like, so there's different levels of people who are kind of getting the real, like, the realness of this situation. And then those who are like, well, fuck it. It's my, I got to play my cover songs tonight and I got to get drunk with my friends. And it's just like, (laughs) oh man. So for me, it's been a a good awakening. And also I've lost a lot of fans. I've also lost a lot of people the last four years. Let's be honest. I've lost a lot of fans. I've lost a lot of jobs, Um, but it's worth it because those people that are there, they're the ones that care. They're the ones that matter. They would fight for me any day. You know, they would show up at a gay pride event for me. And they'll also show up at a Black Lives Matter rally. Like, and that's what's more important to me is that we've been able to weed out things that really don't serve us anymore. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you are, um, you're right. I mean, you're hitting all the, the nails on the head. And this is spotlighting so many problems that we that you've already been calling out that a lot of people have already been calling out in this system that's, you know, built on inequality and exploitation and, you know, the same issues 
that, you know, when we say, like, these people are still here for us and they're fighting for our cause, whatever, like, we're fighting for them, you know, also. Like, we're fighting for all of us. And the people who can see that are, um, you know, luckily out there and exist and, uh, and understand that speaking out isn't just about, like, um, you know, the, the plight of these particular people who are houseless or these particular musicians who can't play gigs. It's if the system was equitable, nobody would have to stress about the decision to stay home because there would be money for everyone. The money that people have been paying into the system already would be given back to them and they would expect that and they would be completely outraged if it didn't happen. And instead we're all like, you know, medicated psychologically and literally into, into thinking that this is the best option. Like, like the opioid epidemic didn't exist until we invaded Afghanistan and took over the poppy fields and nobody wants to talk about that. But we're still in Afghanistan and people here are still being killed by the domestic terrorists who are profiting off of the opioid epidemic. And, you know, meanwhile, the same people creating it know that they could pay for people to be cared for and they're choosing not to. It's so sadistic. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it's, it's, it's sad, uh, but that, you know, more of the reason to stay fired up, more the reason to do guerrilla protesting and, you know, something like Camp Last Hope is basically this big middle finger to the system and it's working, you know, and it's showing that, all right, community stepping up, community taking over the jobs. Like what they've done down there is now there's over 130 people living there. It's more than doubled. Um, there's a kitchen, a full-time kitchen that people can use. There's constant donations. They have a full clothing closet that people built out of pallets. Um, they've made a community. And I know that they've gotten more than 15 people off of heroin in this time. You know, And that's just grassroots people putting in time and effort and energy and doing what the city is failing to do. Because the city does believe these people choose this life. Um, my dad died of an overdose, I want to say three years ago. And I used to think that same thing. I'm going to be honest, you know, from the years of abuse and, and neglect and being let down as a child by him and seeing kind of the awful things he did. I had this thing in my head about him. But when he passed, it changed. And, and that's what's crazy. Sometimes you're like, oh, man, I wish I would have known this before. But I think it was the lesson I was supposed to learn in his passing. But really, he didn't choose that life. I really don't think he would have wanted to have that life of living on the streets um, and dying alone in a hotel room, you know, or dying alone in the hospital. He almost died in the hotel room and the buddy he was shooting up with took him and left him out in front of the ER, you know, mm -hmm. too afraid to take him in. And so my dad died alone. And it's just like, that is a lack of you know, he's been in and out of the system. He's been to jail a million times. Like, no, it just didn't work. And there's so many people that that's never going to work. Um, and we just need to, like, look at these issues and realize they're not an issue. They're not a problem. They are something that we know what's causing it. We know how to get to the bottom of this. You know, we know that we need to go after opiates. We need to go after Purdue and Big Pharma. Like, come on. And we've known this for years. Mm -hmm. Um but it is, it's just this like, 
our society's sick. And I know everybody in this room right now would agree. Our society mm. is sick. And it's luckily, I will say this, the pandemic has opened up a lot of eyes and a lot of people who used to sit on the fence are now finally saying something. They're now finally growing a goddamn backbone and caring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you didn't care when there was babies separated from their parents at the border. Like you didn't care when he said, grab them by the pussy. Like, fuck off. You care now because a bunch of goddamn rednecks went to the Capitol and like threw a fit. Like, uh, it wasn't even yeah. like, it wasn't even like people from the South. It was like people, fr- what, like middle class like upper middle class people as well like they're the ones who stand (laughs) yeah they're the ones who stand to actually benefit the most from the status quo but like yeah I mean I feel like one of the well okay so like before we go down the rage hole because (laughs) it's even less healthy than the rabbit hole I would love to like you you talk a lot about a lot of this stuff in your music and I feel like that's like one of the awesomest ways I you know to to be putting energy into like this crazy world right now is through like making art so um I don't know like do you what kind of what kind of uh what kind of fuel have you found this (laughs) all of this to be for your art have you it's almost been an anti-fuel, which yeah. I, I definitely had a long time where I didn't write any songs. I wasn't creating anything new. Um, and I just felt like, God, I've been saying this for so fucking long. I told you so. Like I got in that thing, right? Like mm-hmm. this whole I told you so mentality. Um, and more so what my songwriting has kind of been on is about suicide. It's been about feeling alone or feeling hopeless or, or, you know, just like the despair. Um, So a couple of my songs, my most recent songs were uh, called Keep Your Head Up. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the other one. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. You know, and it's just, and I think it's just basically just, we are missing the most important thing right now. And that is face-to-face human connection. I fully, truly believe when we get to see our people, we get to sit outside on a patio and share brunch together and swap stories of our last couple months. It's healing. It's so important. And it's it's gone right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I just feel like it's just kind of reflected inward. But it's coming. I mean, my new I'm working on a new record right now. It's uh, we're going to hopefully be done recording most of the things this upcoming week. Um, and it's very political. It's very in your face how I've always done it. Um, one of my songs called Each One Teach One starts out with it isn't about football or the American flag. It's about being gunned down for being black, you know, and that's not going to bring people in. They're not going to be like, "Ooh, this is catchy. <laughs> I dig this. Like, it's like, no, fuck you. It's like, here's how I feel. Um, yeah. But I like that. Like, you know, I'm, I, I used to play party music. I used to try to appease to the, the jam band scene and all that bullshit. And years of just like rejection, years of not getting respect. I'm just like, you know what? Nah, I'm just going to do me. I'm going to create my own style of music. I'm going to just put it out there. And the people that react to it and like it, great. The people that get pissed off by it and send me threats, great. You know, like it it's, goes both ways for me. And I just... I know that Milan feels the same way. Like if we were just making party music, we wouldn't do this. We, we, we've been doing this for, we've been together 10 years and touring and playing music for 10 years. 
Like, I don't think either of us could do this if it didn't mean something, right? For sure. It'd get old really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about sort of your backstory and your journey into music and yours as well. Yeah, I would just love to hear more about your backstory. If you grew up in a musical household, but kind of some of your biggest inspirations were I'm an ex-music writer so that kind of those reference points always really interest me yeah so I did um my mom loves music so she always every weekend would blast the stereo we always had a nice stereo with good speakers in the house and we'd listen to Pink Floyd we'd listen to you know Janis Joplin she listened to Bob Marley she just had a very eclectic good taste in music um and from a young age she could tell that I was musical and she actually had a friend point out that I could play the drums. We went over to his house. He had this giant drum set. I sat down. I think I was eight or nine at the time. And I could play a drum beat. And she, he was like, what the fuck? So he told my mom, he was like, get this, get her started in some music lessons. Um, and so, yeah, I started with drums. I actually started with piano first because everybody says you should start with piano. And I hated my piano teacher. I thought it was the most boring thing. And he was so stinky. And I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> um, but then when I was 11, I think I started drum lessons. And that was cool. And But same thing. I had a real nerdy dude. Like, I'm just going to be honest. Like, most of my music teachers were nerdy dudes. And I could not relate. So I never lasted longer than six months in lessons. Um, But what I've been able to do is just play. I'm lucky that I kind of have this gene. Uh, My great grandfather used to play multiple instruments, throw his own barn parties in Montana, you know, make his own make his own bathtub whiskey and throw parties. I'm like, okay, that's where I got that from. Um, Yeah. And my my great aunt, Florence, she was a multi multi instrumentalist. She used to play trombone and trumpet and piano and banjo Um, So it definitely runs in the family. And I just lucked out that I had a mom that supported it, you know, and saw this and said, let's nurture this. Um, And then fast forward, I just started playing in a band in high school and did open mics. And we used to do cover songs. And I went to a music festival, saw Michael Franti perform. And I said, I want to write. And, you know, Michael was very political back then. This is pre-pop music Michael Franti. This is like, I'm pissed off and I'm telling you how I feel, Franti. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. that early spearhead is pretty, it, like, it's pretty good. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. so good. It's yeah. some of the best music still, you know, and it's so relevant, too. Um, and I already loved the Beatles and I already loved Bob Marley, so I already kind of had this, like, taste in music um, and Aretha Franklin, all, all the things. But anyways, fast forward, more bands, more bands, and here we are now. So, <laughs> yeah, in Milan. Uh, well, I'm originally from New Zealand, and we moved here when I was like six. And I grew up performing New Zealand dances, so I performed on stages my whole life. And I love performing, <clears throat> but I do not love the attention. I prefer to be off stage doing something else, like filming or running sound and all those things. Hanging out with Talia, it just like it just kind of worked. I just need, like, they needed help with audio and filming, just, and so, you know, I stepped into that role. (laughs) So, here we are. (laughs) 
And Milan's being modest. Like she doesn't just <laughs> film and run sound. She does a lot for the band uh, and for the solo project. She makes my website. She edits everything. You know, she reminds me that I have appointments. She's like, hey, follow through with this person. Um, she does all the online stuff. And in this pandemic has learned single-handedly how to do multi-camera streaming. She learned how to do light projection. So she's been doing a light show for our streams. Uh, I mean, it's just crazy. So I've been, it's it's been really cool to see Milan, like really just every time she wants to learn something new, step up and do it. And then she has this determination to be the best at it. So it works out, you know, and she's a fire, she's a fire dragon. And uh, as a Gemini, it's a good, it's a good thing to have a Virgo fire dragon on your side to balance <laughs> you and keep yeah. you, you know, keep you in check. So that's, um, that's Emily and my dynamic. I'm an Aquarius, so <laughs> it's definitely good to have someone who's not in totally in yeah. outer space, like 90% of the time as a project partner. So yeah, yay, yay Virgo fire dragon. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Emily, was, you're a Virgo, right? I am. Yeah. yeah. Although I'm like a Virgo with post-traumatic stress. So I like, I feel like that sort of cancels some of my organizational skills and some of my like patient grounded because I've had to overcome a lot of like triggers and things yeah however comma um it's I feel like you know it's it's work that has been worth it and <laughs> that I've been doing and uh and I feel like it's given me a lot more heart for other people who are a hot mess you know <laughs> yeah. like when you when we talk about stuff like houselessness and all of that like I constantly think about the fact that in this system, we are all literally like one shitty thing away from that chain of events that, you know, you describe where like we, we end up um, literally on the streets and with nothing. And it can be something completely beyond our control. And the only reason it would ruin our entire lives is because our system is um is built to prioritize profit instead of people yeah so it's like when I started thinking about that and I think about how close I've been just from like um you know yeah like as as it let's say like you know how as a musician you say something on the stage um and people get irate people you don't know let's say get irate and let's say they want to tell you how irate they are. Let's say like after and or during your show. And like you just you like you can deal with that in a number of different ways. If you're super grounded, you can be all like, all right, bud, you know, yeah. and deal with this is always bud. It's never a lady. And yeah. um, you can do that. But like if you're super triggered you know, then let's say you flip out at this person because you're like, oh, my God, you're a threat to me. And um, and then the next thing you know, you don't get gigs anymore. And then the next thing you know, after that, like you're broke and then you you don't you can't pay rent and you can't do all of these things. And it's all because you reacted to somebody who was already treating you poorly that you couldn't do anything about. And like, that's our system. And most people don't realize it's just one bad thing outside of your control that can really ruin your everything. Absolutely. 
And I mean, being queer, I know that I'm super lucky that I was not kicked out as a young teen or well, I wasn't out then, but that I wasn't kicked out now, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, it is crazy because that the thing you just described has happened to me. You know, mm-hmm. I've had one bar in particular where I've had a couple instances. Uh, one of the times that a guy, a bunch of my lesbian friends showed up to the show. And so I was being extra gay on stage. That's my stage. <laughs> You paid to come into this bar to see me. You knew I was playing. If you don't like it, here's a refund, get out. Well, this guy got all pissed off, kept calling us dykes, kept saying pretty messed up things. The bar did not kick him out. They kicked him out when he ripped his shirt off. He got all macho and ripped his shirt off. And that's what they finally kicked him out for. So we come to the end of the night. I go out to my car and my windshield is kicked in and my car's been pissed on and it was this kid. It was that guy. And they were like, well, how would he know it's your car? I'm like, cause it's separate. I was out there smoking a bowl. Come on. Like there's my car, you know, it's my car. I park where the band parks. There's my, my stickers on it. Like, and he full on did. He got up on my car. You could see his footprints. It was winter, jumped on my car, pissed on my windshield, turned around and did a horse kick into the back, kicked in my entire windshield. And I'm like, okay, cool. That kind of violence. Great. You know, if they had kicked him out of the beginning when he first called us a dyke, that would have not happened. But, you know, this happened at 1.30 in the morning. We called the cops. The cops come. And the lady cop, who definitely looks like she plays for my team, <laughs> looks at me and says, all crimes are hate crimes. <laughs> and basically, like, no, this is nothing. You know, just you're going to have to pay for this. We're not going to follow through. You know, they went into the guy's house and nothing ever came of it. But... Fast forward to a year later, a guy gets real pissed off at me because I made a joke about the asshole who should not be named. And he (laughs) comes up and starts throwing money at me, right? Throwing hundreds and fifties at me like he's like I am a stripper or something. And I tell him to fuck off and I kindly ask him to stop. And, you know, he didn't. Once again, he did not get kicked out. I had to deal with him being in my my performance space for the rest of the night. And then the third and final, I forgot about this one. Some guy called me a dumb fucking lesbian, told me to shut the fuck up in the middle of my show. So at separate, I go up to him and I was like, you know, I don't tell you what to do at your job. Don't tell me what to do at mine. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're a dumb lesbian. And I fucking grabbed that motherfucker by his shirt collar and I threw him to the ground. And that is a trigger reaction. That is not like a, "Mm, I'm not giving you my space. That's like, bitch, we're getting in a physical fight right now. And they, the bar kicked me out. It was my show. Oh, that's so fucked up. And what's fucked up is it took me so long to realize how abusive that place was to me as an artist. Just because I made, I made money there. I had great dance parties. We sold it out all the time. It was like my spot. I loved it. But it took me fucking five years of abuse as a queer artist to realize you're not safe here. What are you doing? Mm. So this was you know? the same bar that all those incidents happened at? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, I've, I've been fired from about six or seven other places, ski uh-huh. resorts, um, you name it. I've been fired from it in Utah. Mind you, I've played in the South. I've played down in Louisiana and Georgia and Florida, and I still have all those gigs. So it just goes Utah to show can't handle it. <laughs> they, can't, they freak out. And um, but, you know, my main lesson with that is like, yeah, any one of those. I lost something that I used to play two times a month. It paid my bills, you know, and had something else happen on top of that. 
had my mom passed away or had my insurance fallen through or anything like, you know, I could have been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people, I just think, don't realize how close every every person is. And how fucked up is that? We're the richest nation, but everybody is like two paychecks away from being homeless. Yeah. You know, what the fuck is that shit? Like, it's insanity. And we walk around acting like our system is the best system. And it's like the the amount of um, the amount of delusion that we are under all the time when we believe that way it just I don't know I mean it just makes it even clearer to me that we need creative people talking about these issues in ways that different people can understand like um oh like the other thing that I really wanted to hear you talk about which was rock camp which in Salt Lake City warmed the hell out of my heart got when I got to be there for it. I want to know how it's been going through the pandemic and and the apocalypse. <laughs> so Rock Camp is something that's near and dear to our hearts. It actually was started in Portland, Oregon about 20 years ago um, and by a woman. I forget her name right now, but she started it for her college uh, dissertation, I think. Ah, anyways, um, it's now a platform, and what it exists, what it exists as, is a camp to get first started as girls, young girls playing music. Um, but now, throughout the years, we have developed our camp to fully include all marginalized genders. So it is to get girls, trans, gender expansive, and non-binary youth playing music. Um, and you'd be like, well, we understand it here, but some of your listeners might not understand why something like that is so important. Well, why it's important is because less than 25% of the music industry is female identifying. And I'm talking about women that make it, right? Mm-hmm. Artists that make it, your pop stars, your top selling artists, less than 25% identify as female. I don't even know how many, I, you know, there's probably not even a percentage for trans and gender expansive. Um, And so it's very heavily male dominated industry. So Rock Camp was originally started to get more females playing music and it's incredible program. It's all over the world. They have them everywhere. And it is changing, changing the demographic of the music scene. I mean, I've seen it here locally. I've seen more bands come out of it. um, All female bands or at least bands with females playing instruments and definitely trans um, and gender expansive youth. I mean, it's it's an incredible thing. So I'm lucky I get to be the music director of this. Uh, Milan is our tech and managing director and program. What, no, Milan, sorry, what's your... I mess production it up every manager. Time. <laughs> <laughs> production manager. I mess it up every time. She's a production manager. That's what I am for you. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and there's it's was started by queer women in Salt Lake City, the local chapter, you know, and... It has grown now, and with the pandemic, we had to take a little break, and we have now revamped it into a six-week online program that is happening right now. We're actually two weeks into it. We have 13 bands that signed up to be a part of it, and we opened it up to all all genders because we said, all right, we want you to start a family band, or we want you to start a band with your COVID bubble. And we realized that men and young boys need the messages we teach at Rock Camp. 
It's yeah. an empowerment camp, you know, first. Mm-hmm. Music, music's secondary. Music is the vehicle we use to teach these kids how to take up space, how to love and accept themselves, how to fuck shit up, you know, without saying fuck shit up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You teach yeah. them, you teach them like the approachable version of fuck shit up. Yes. As in like make lots of music. <laughs> yep. Well, and these kids write political songs. So in one week's time, when we do it with our kids, they join a band, they write um, an original song with their band. They learn their instrument. Most of the kids have never played music in their life. So they're going from zero to at the end of the week, they perform at one of our biggest venues called The Depot. It's a 1,200 person room, you know, and they perform for hundreds of people. And it's just amazing to see these little eight-year-olds behind giant bass guitars, you know, and, and little teeny drummers. And they write the best songs. They write the realest songs. They're always usually political or they're really funny, or they're engaging. It reminds me a lot of Emily's music. Um, <laughs> no, and, and it's important yeah. too, because it's we we in our songwriting lesson, we teach these kids write about what you care about. Mm-hmm. We don't need stupid love songs. Mm-hmm. There's so many stupid <laughs> love songs, you know what I mean? Smart love like, songs are still definitely in demand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and they're not, you know, but I'm talking about the, ooh, yeah. baby, hold my hand. I'm like, no, give yeah. me something different. Like We got lots of that. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, one of, and so we started doing it for um, adults too. And we also realized like our, our adult campers have way longer preconceived notions about what it means to be female in the world or what it means to be trans or, so we realized that this work is really important amongst our adult community too. And so, yeah, this new thing is crazy. It's labor intensive, but it's worth all the work. Uh, We've been, and we just added, we're adding as we go week by week, we're gonna have 30 new instructional videos up on YouTube that are taught by women, trans and gender expansive people. And like, I don't know if you know, but if you go to look up how to learn something on an instrument, it's a bunch of dudes, yeah. a bunch of bros, <laughs> nerdy white guys, surely true, yeah. surely nerdy true. white guys. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm really proud of what our volunteers are putting out there because we have diverse voices teaching diverse lessons and it's engaging and it's free and it's open to everybody. Um, so I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the work that Milan's been doing with it too. And yeah, it's amazing. Awesome. Um, did you have anything to add about that, Milan? Um, not really. Tally covered most of it. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm glad you covered the adult camp because that's really important, especially here in Utah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, Mormon women are taught that you are basically you exist to be a wife and to be a child bearer. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. And, you know, from a very young age, they are telling these girls that. And in, in Utah, you can get a ticket at school if your shirt comes up too high or if your shorts are too high. Or, and, they, and they will single out teenage girls in front of the entire class and send them. And, you know, recently at one of the big Mormon conferences, they said basically, well, don't dress in a way that makes men want to do that to you. Like these motherfuckers are victim blaming for rape. Still. Still. Oh my God. Always. Ah. Uh, I just watched, funnily enough, a couple of nights ago, I watched um, part of a documentary series on cults about, I think it's the FDLS, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I said that acronym right, but you did. Yeah. Yeah. Just that whole story is really crazy. <laughs> the way I see like us moving through this, like, 
terrible like growing growing phase of like learning all the things that don't work in our systems is through like creative thinking and creative work and making art and music and teaching people how to think differently and more expressively and um I just really appreciate all the work that that you do with that and all the music that you um have put out that like reflects all of that like so I don't like the word explicit has all these negative connotations, but I like really appreciate explicit communication because I can be kind of stupid sometimes. You know, it really helps to have have all these uh, these different kinds of like saying saying all this stuff in explicit ways. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I've always been ex- explicit. I'm a potty mouth. Like, come on. I, <laughs> I, grew, I grew up with George Carlin. Like, awesome. like, you know, listening. That's another thing my mom didn't care about was like she was going to expose me to real art in all forms, comedy, you know, music, television. Um, and, you know, sometimes it is also in just a way, like you said, you just need to be woken up. So if I come out on stage and I was like, what's up, motherfuckers? People aren't going to expect that, right? You know, if you've never seen me and you see a woman get on stage, do you expect her to be like, what's up, motherfuckers? It's like, no, I mean, not most everybody would, but that's who I am. And I definitely like to take my fans and not fans on a ride. You know, (laughs) I like to... uh, I like to push people's limits. I like to challenge. I like to talk about whatever's going on. Like when we were fighting for medicinal marijuana in Utah, I talked about it. Like when we were fighting for legal marriage, I talked about it. That was a huge one. I got told I was promoting the gay agenda at one of my shows. And I'm just like, oh my God, oh. why? Because I played Elton John? What Like what the <laughs> fuck? What do you mean gay agenda? What is I, the gay agenda? Is there oh, a band called the gay exactly. agenda yet? Because... I, there, oh, there needs to be if there is. There, <laughs> there should be. There oh, really man. should be. Let's, but yeah. Let's, yeah. There should I be say, a gay agenda band in every state. Right? Ooh, good. We're getting on to something here. Yeah. Um, I just think it's important. Like, exist loud, catch people's attention. Um, that's my way to do it. The funny thing to me is one of the biggest upsets I had <laughs> was at our gay pride festival. <laughs> You know, at Pride Festival two years ago, I got this scathing review from one of the, he's actually the editor of the only gay magazine in Salt Lake City, gave me this scathing review saying, could you have said the F word more? Do you realize there was children present? Blah, fucking blah, like tore me down. All these people jumped on his post and were just like, yeah, she was awful. Ew. Oh, she's so gross. Like saying pretty awful things about me. Like, you know, it did, it hurt me. It hurt my heart. Um, And then I got a couple death threats after that. And I'm like, time out. This is, I'm being getting death threats from other gay people, like for saying fuck on stage, for telling people fuck the police because the police were there with their hands on their guns walking around in a pack of 10. Like, you know, and also made a couple comments about our governor because he's a fucking asshole too. And he's there at the gay pride. And I'm like, if you brought your kids to a gay pride festival and you expect them not to hear fuck, I'm sorry. Like, get out of here with that shit. We are, this is a protest, Pride, and it was the, on the 50th anniversary of the first Pride, which was a literal a protest, riot, right? a riot. Yeah. And, and they asked me in my application, so how do you plan on making your performance relevant to the 50 years ago at Stonewall? And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to fuck shit up. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so it just goes to show everybody has some growing to do. Everybody has some like, 
you know, learning to do. And if, if me saying fuck on stage makes you more mad than babies locked in cages, then I think he got some uh, soul searching to do. Right. I think he was also mad because he was in one of the performing groups right before. And it was, I mean, it was like church music. It's like a choir. And they cleared the dance floor. <laughs> and, Why is there trust yeah. music at Pride? Mm. Oh, um, it's Utah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So I think there were there were other things that uh, led him to tag you and call you up. But then, like, you copied all his posts and put it up on yours, uh, your Facebook. And then, you know, what happened after that, Talia? <laughs> <laughs> He deleted it. He sent an apology, uh, you know, and I did not get banned for Pride the next year. I was, I was actually booked for it, which is good. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it just like I think everyone can learn from this. Like, why are we fighting amongst ourselves when there are real atrocities happening, you know, in this planet? So I don't know, Emily, I always appreciate your music. I always appreciate mm-hmm. that you are similar in your candor <laughs> and how you use your art, because art is a universal language, you know, and one of my shows, I did have this guy come up to me and he was like, can I give you a hug? This is pre pandemic. And I was like, yeah, he gave me a hug. Definitely didn't, could tell he was kind of rednecky. And he's like, I didn't agree with a single thing you said, but I like you. And I was just like, all right. You know, that's it. You know, he heard my words and he still wanted to hug me. That's so awesome. I think, you know, that's a good thing. Not everybody's going to be that way, but the energy can come through like when you when you let it it's i think i think it's really unfortunate that our government has chosen to politicize identity um because like that leads to all these things where people people feel like it somehow goes against their beliefs to love other people like what <laughs> it's like that's so terrible but that's like this that's the system that brings us a guy being like i don't agree with you but i can't explain why i love you because like really he does agree with you but he's been conditioned to not agree with you because he thinks that that is some kind of political stance when really like identity is fluid one of the things that i loved when i went to i got to see the rock camp performance that i got to in 2019 was like so how so many of the groups were making statements about gender being um you know something that like what the future being gender chill or whatever, like gender not being a thing that like was going to be used against people. And like already knowing that at that young age, that's, you know, that's a huge thing. It is a huge thing. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. That reminded me of my question, which was, um, I work on a college campus. So I, I tend to interact with senior students out of high school. I do a lot of undergraduate instruction in the library. I'm a librarian, but, um, I will say that, like, this next generation, and maybe you get this from Girls Camp, they give me a lot of hope. Like, their level of awareness and their just their intuition about things and their instincts just gives me so much hope. So I don't know if that's your experience from doing the camps, too, but I always want to tell people that. Yeah. Absolutely. We have kids young as eight that are trans. You know, we have kids that are that same age that are gender expansive. Um, The first thing we do when we beat everybody, everybody goes around and says their name and their pronouns. 
you know, and it's just like a thing. Like we do explain to the younger kids who might not understand pronoun and what that means. And to those that don't, I identify as she, her, but you could also identify as they, them, or he, him, or Z, them, a bunch of them. But anyways, um, I do have hope. I see these kids and I'm just blown away. Um, they have the coolest haircuts. They take way better band photos than I could ever imagine. Um, <laughs> And they go out there with just like this braveness um, of not caring. Like maybe they do think they maybe they do care, but you can't tell. Like Emily, I don't know if you remember. Like they just get out there and rock out, you know. And oh my god, they like inspired me. I was so glad I like stopped there on my like drive from between California and Colorado. It was the best stop ever. It motivated me so hard. Yeah, I love that you did. I was so stoked that you were there. I was like, yay! No way. <laughs> Um, Because, you know, it is it's we're proud of it. We're proud of the work that these kids do Um, and our volunteers like we would not be the organization we are without our volunteers. We have um, five of us who do most of the main directing duties, but we have probably 60 to 70 volunteers every year that donate their time that come and teach these kids instruments, teach the adults. They do workshops. We always do workshops about inclusiveness or um, activism 101, or we have local DJs from the radio station come down and give the history of music or history of music. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a big, huge village. Um, in Utah, that's uh, the radical people all find each other, you know, and that's the beauty is that we are so polarized here that we, the activists know each other, you know, the people that care know each other. And that's nice that we have that community we can reach out to anytime. Yeah, it kind of seems like if there's a theme between all your projects and activism is this almost like creative interventions in the system. And I think that that's really important right now because it's so easy to feel like powerless and to look at things on especially a big level and be like, well, what can I do? Or like focus so much on the electoral politics instead of focusing on like, what is the mutual aid I can do? What is the art I can do to put out there to try to, you know, create some interventions if nothing else to try to show people there's a different way to do things. Absolutely. And I think too, it's, uh, it can be overwhelming to get involved with activism, but really just start at home. Yeah. You know, just start at home. Is there something that you all care about in your household? Or if you're alone, start in your heart. When I say start at home, like, what do you care about? What do you want to help? What do you want to change in this world? And it's often way easy to get involved. You know, it really just is. It just takes, you just have to be brave. Um, And I'm a procrastinator. I definitely like to push things to the last minute. I definitely get in my head about things and I'm like, this will be awful. Why did I sign up for it? But then as soon as I get there, I love it and I'm engaged. And my life is way more meaningful now that I've decided to give back to my communities than I ever could have imagined. And I, that sounds so cliche, but it's true, you know? I think that's like a, a recurring theme, though, with a lot of the folks we've had here on, on What the Folk, is that, you know, people... People realizing that giving what giving their work and giving their art and their lessons to to others is where they find the real reward and the real value. You know, the exchange of energy and ideas is is more powerful almost than the you know just looking for them. <laughs> like when you when you're interacting with with all different people doing doing a collective project um you know I feel like we're most closely mimicking like other organisms um on this earth that 
just inherently communicate with each other. They don't like have all these blocks that make them constantly like in In fight. fight. Yeah. That's beautiful. Let's just be like dolphins. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is that seals? Uh, There you go. (laughs) I I was going to accept the first one as a dolphin noise. That was a seal. seal. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know what though? Because there's this Regina Spector song that I love, and she references dolphin sounds, and then she does that, and every time I'm like, "It's that's a seal." <laughs> but now I've incorporated it. Yeah, this done. is what our brains do. <laughs> Who are we us. to correct Regina Spector? Yeah. yeah, we aren't. We aren't her marine biology. Regina Spector. <laughs> no, <laughs> she's just right. Yep. This I decree. Um, <laughs> is there, I, I know we've got, we've been talking for a while now. Is there other uh, stuff that you want to talk about or do you, are you tired and ready to call it? Um, and yeah. or both. I think a little both, you know, I think the bit, the main thing is if you've been engaged and you like anything we're talking about and you want to know more about it, just go to my website designed by Milan at ta- yeah, it's taliakeys.com, T-A-L-I-A-K-E-Y-S. Um, you can find anything that we're involved, all of our live streams, our next upcoming shows, our rock camps. You can do them now since they're virtual from anywhere in the world. How cool is that? That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just stay in touch. Like, if you dig what we're putting out there and you want to support us, come watch a stream, come say hi. Um, you know, get involved. And I just want to say to everybody, get involved in your community. Like this podcast is awesome because you're, you're doing something during a hard time and you're putting out like people's important messages. And I appreciate what you've been doing. So thank you for having us. Milan. Yeah. It's always good talking to you, catching up, seeing what you've been up to. So thank you. The two of you inspire me so much. Like I've, I've been through creative lulls like a motherfucker in this throughout this pandemic and every time I go online I'm like oh Talia's doing some new shit and uh but didn't you just release an album Emily like you just released an entire record uh, you have mentioned your album on the podcast you helped motivate that not only yeah. did you help motivate me to get it done by like me constantly seeing how much work you were doing but you inspired uh-huh. one of the songs on it and played on one of the songs on it as well as reassured me many times that the songs didn't suck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, what I really need in my life. Aw, <laughs> I feel that. You know, I feel that. And I just think we both agree that from the moment we met you, it was like kismet. Hello, here's somebody we love. We're going to be friends with for the rest of our lives. And just thank you for caring. Like, it is so nice, both of you, to meet both of you and know that there's other people that care as much as we do. And you're not complacent and you're not just going to sit on the sidelines that you're here to fuck shit up. And that's what's important. Um, And yeah, Emily's record's great. I tell everybody, go out and get it. I was honored to play on it. And it's real. And I think when you go through such a, a hard time in life, Art is the best thing you can do. And people will will hear your songs and say, yeah, you know what? My heart was fucking broken too. Like, ah, uh, you know? And that's uh, what's important is creating things people can connect their hearts to. So, yeah, keep doing the heart work, y'all. Yeah. Oh, you too. Dying. Yeah. So much Aww. love you to you. Both of you. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, so you're nice in Denver? You. Yeah. Well, Denver? I'm, right now I'm in Lyons, Colorado. 
Nice. Like, I love lions. Yeah, yeah. Planet of Blue Grouse, Folks Fest, all that stuff happens there. Rocky Grass. But um, yep. I'm going to be moving closer to Denver sometime in the spring. So. Cool. So. I went to a song school one year. Oh, and nice. Yeah, it changed my life. Like, it totally, literally changed my whole life. It was so cool. Yeah, so, I've heard so many great things about that. It's yeah. I'm so, like, peripheral to music because I did music where I wrote for Jam Bass and written for Relics and I've done, like, all that stuff. Yeah. And so, like... And then I've like worked for the festivals over there, but I don't actually play or perform. But I just I love being around that energy so much. Um, but yeah, everything I've heard of Song School or Rocky Grass Academy, it's literally right across the street from my house. Mm-hmm. I live yeah, right across yeah. the street from Plant. So I'm a little sad to leave, but I don't know. Some shit's been going down in Lions that I'm kind of not that impressed with. So I'm, I'm yeah, looking maybe. forward to getting down to Denver and getting hooked in with more of the community work that's happening down there. So cool. Well, keep us in touch. Yeah. We'll, uh, Definitely. Yeah. And I also like song school was amazing and living in Lyons was great. But like, I feel like right now the bubble, I feel like there's so much pressure for on all of the bubbles that I know that I've lived in and around to like burst either through going to one extreme of the or the other, but just like uh, just a lot of growing pains. Everywhere is having growing pains, let's just say. Yeah. yeah. So. Change is good. I love you guys. Yeah. Birth is messy. Birth is messy. Yeah. Yeah. Change is constant. Birth is messy, right? Yeah. The more we try to stop the change, the more we just get hurt. (laughs) You can't stop it. It's we're going forward at all times. Yeah. Like constant. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Great conversations. Yeah. a lot about Camp Last Hope. We have um, an update that she posted on February 5th that is pretty upsetting. Um, I'm going to have Emily read it, though, because I'm really bad at reading things. (laughs) Not, like, in general, just Uh, out loud. (laughs) That must be why you're a librarian. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm good at at the books, (laughs) but not at, you know, presenting the books in a public manner. Anyway, 
Well, I don't know how good I am at it, but um, this is the update from Talia about Camp Last Hope from Friday, February 5th. Camp Last Hope was destroyed yesterday. Very few volunteers were there trying to save anything that is usable. Cleaning. Helping people move. All day yesterday. Not city employees or outreach, but actual citizens. Black Lives for Humanity movement has done amazing work in our city. Kept people alive and warm at Camp Hope and many other camps. Most of those people have nowhere else to go. People's tents and belongings were destroyed while they were at work. Many people slept on the streets last night with nothing. Please help if you can and donate to Black Lives for Humanity movement on Venmo. They will be replacing all that was destroyed by the city, and you know they do it on their own dime and own time. It's hard work. Tragic, really. We still have a couple months of cold weather, too. Please remember, unsheltered people are people. They deserve the same care and compassion as everyone else, yet they don't get it from the city. It was heartbreaking watching two months of hard work being thrown into dumpsters. The fight continues. Please help if you can. Info to donate is Venmo at Black Lives for Humanity Movement. And we'll put some more links uh, in the show notes. But that was February 5th from, February 5th from Talia Keys' Facebook. And um, yeah, so that is uh, what we're talking about now. Now that we have... Uh, now that we've had a chance to sit and digest some of uh, the conversation we had with Talia and Milan, and um, you know, it really is heartbreaking, like she says, to see people being uh, terrorized essentially in the middle of the winter. Um, let's get into talking about why that's not their fault. Yeah, well, I think Talia made did a really great job of sketching that out, but just seeing. You know, a lot of people are in there for medical debt or for other things. Like, most of us are living one or two disasters away from complete destitution. (laughs) I mean, if we're lucky, maybe two disasters away. Um, And that is by design. Yeah, Yeah. it is. Exactly. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're fine. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Um, This all is so... um, I mean, it really gets me so heated because it is by design and it doesn't even need to be a big disaster that can do it. I think a lot of people don't realize how um, small the disruption can be that can set off um, that, uh, you know, daisy chain of problems that, that very quickly escalates to being on the street. If our, if our nation had any interest in taking care of these people, um, it could easily. Um, and I think one thing that's really important, and I can't remember who was the first point out to me, but it's something that's haunted me for years because it's so true, is people are um, houseless or unsheltered by design. That's like the punishment that they threaten everyone with. If you don't stay in line, if you don't be productive under capitalism, if you don't pay these bills and all these arbitrary debts that you've had to rack up to pay those bills, like this could happen to you. So there's a reason people are out there suffering and it's 
there's no reason for them not to be suffering. Like, we have the resources. We have the people power. And if we wanted to, we could solve this problem quite easily. But we don't because it's a, yeah, it's a threat you can hold over people. Like, do you want to be like them? And that, to me, is just one of the most... If you needed any more proof that this system is inhumane and run by sociopaths, I feel like that is all the proof you need. Exactly. Exactly. It's like the sort of Damocles dangling that says, if you can't find a way to stay in your home, then you will be criminalized. And and if and aside from it already being terrifying to not have a roof over your head, when you want one, I mean, obviously, plenty of people are love sleeping out under the stars, and no fault to them. No, I have absolutely no issue with them, and I am one of those many times. But when it's a choice, you know, like when it's not a choice, you know, I will, I'll be the first to say, a couple of months into the pandemic, I became essentially homeless. If I hadn't had people and a support network, and these you know, if I hadn't had a vehicle, if I hadn't had a tent, um, all these things that I could have very easily not had, <laughs> um, then I would have been screwed. And it's not because it wouldn't have been because I'm a bad person. It would have just been because circumstances were bad. And every single time I walk past somebody on the street, I immediately feel that I feel what it feels like to sit on a cold concrete sidewalk, because I know that, that it's we are all there if like one thing goes wrong. Yeah, this is um, just for a couple other notes on your situation too, because we were started brainstorming the podcast right around the time you came back. And then I just remember how unpredictable your housemate was like all of a sudden one day you were like, he's kicking me out. Like you had almost no forewarning of that. And this was a situation that like you had moved into this situation after your divorce. So again, you can see how like, you said that daisy chain of events can lead to somebody being out on the street if just the right elements weren't in place, if you didn't have people right. you knew. And, I mean, you were lucky to have those people in a pandemic. And I know you know that. Just, like, it really yeah. does make you think about how on the edge it is. So in 2010, was it 2010? 2011, actually, um, I went through my first divorce and we had to live together for like two or three months after we broke up because neither one of us made enough money to live on our own. And I mean, that was a really kind of awkward and painful experience. And eventually a coworker of mine let me move into their basement. I was making $11 an hour back then. Like, again, I can see how like the chain of events, like my first husband, you know, like he wasn't like abusive or shitty. We just weren't you know, in love anymore and it was better to break up, but still like having to live with somebody when you know you're going to break up is, I mean, you're not getting along is very, very hard, but I can't, you know, there's so many people that are stuck in situations maybe like that or worse, or their other option, if they want to be free of it, is going to leave them out on the streets. So it's really not even like you and I, who I think have you know, in a lot of ways had relatively comfortable lives. We've still like had those situations where we've been right on the edge. And you can see, especially in retrospect, like if this piece hadn't fallen into place and this piece, then that's it. You know, I would have been out there. And I guess I don't understand why people can't take stock of their own lives and think about those situations or at least consider even if 
they've never been close to a situation where that's put them out on the street, just like what it might be like. I just don't understand why people don't have empathy, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I think this um, system we live under really discourages and crushes empathy. Uh, you know, like as, as you're saying, like in order for capitalism to work, we need to have some people who think they're better than other people and some people who think that other people are there to be exploited. And we need to have a whole huge number of people not thinking about the fact that, you know, it's really just luck for most of us that puts us in the situation that we're in, in the bodies that we're in, if we are able to function in our bodies, in the homes and the families that we're in. Um, You know, none of us... I mean, I guess you can go into an esoteric sense and say, like, sure, in a cosmic sense, we chose our lives. But, like, you know, it's this toxic system that keeps us thinking that we need to compete with one another for scarce resources instead of acknowledging that we have so many resources. They're all there. And the, and it's um, manufactured scarcity. Uh, there are enough homes for people. There is enough money. There is enough food. And it's capitalism that has us operating under the, you know, belief that there isn't enough. And so some people are just going to have to go without. And that's just not the damn case at all. Like, nobody needs to go without. We destroy food. I mean, there's some examples of this, but it's like, it's manufactured scarcity to enforce manufactured consent. (laughs) And that's, yeah, yeah, it's just, oh, it's so fucking crazy. I can't even form words around it sometimes it just makes me so mad and heartbroken and um what if we um were brought up every single one of us to just believe that you know everyone deserves a roof over their head and if they don't have one that's a failure of the system and if we were all programmed to immediately see someone on the street and think how did the system fail them instead of how did they fuck up then um we would very, very quickly see how, you know, houselessness is the system's fault. Mm-hmm. Or even on like a spiritual level, the, you know, idea that any, everyone else in the world is us and we are all them. So mm-hmm. how do, when you start seeing yourself in other people, and you can do that as a mental exercise. You don't even, you can be a, like firm atheists and you can still just as a mental exercise if you see someone that makes you really want to other them or be like well that's not me that guy on the street that woman on the street you know that's that's not me I would never be in that situation just like think that you're them for like a minute and think of the emotions that inspires and how does that make you make this look at the situation differently like you can do that for free um doesn't take any effort really it's painful but I think you should do it because yeah, if you're in the looking out at somebody from a warm car or your warm house, you should think about what it would be like if you were them. Yeah, I mean, we can't address, you know, individual suffering without addressing collective suffering. And the fact that there is actually no difference between the two. And, you know, we could take that in like a super esoteric way or we could take it in a super simple policy way where, as we could say, like, you know, these politicians have absolutely no right arguing over um, whether everybody deserves to have enough food, money and shelter. They have absolutely no business arguing over that. 
And if we all collectively, like, just stopped taking them seriously when they were doing it, like, all of the arguments that they're having in Congress, it's all bullshit. Like, they don't need to be arguing about this stuff. They need to be taking action. But the reason they're arguing is because they don't want to take action because not taking action is what keeps them uh, in power. Exactly. And we could go in a whole rabbit hole with that. I I will just say I don't understand how anyone looks at our system and doesn't realize it's a game of good cop, bad cop. But, you know, people are at different levels of development, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that sounds snobby. Like, well, like people are at different levels. I feel like people are at different levels of um, of deconditioning. You know, that's because a better way to reason, put it. The reason that, you know, like I didn't grow up thinking uh, of, you know, thinking about systemic issues. Like I grew up, you know, thinking about, you know, helping others is a thing that we do because Jesus tells us to, which is yet another reason why I feel like it's such bullshit that all the, that, you know, the so-called Christians and, you know, conservatives that call themselves Christians are so against the idea of just helping people because it's the right thing to do because they're, and, and let alone because they're, you know, God tells them that it's the right thing to do, but like, it just is. Um, and, and like this idea of like pro-life. Yeah, no, it, like the idea of being pro-life and the way that we've got this politicized idea that all that it means is being in favor of, of birth of more and more birth and not paying attention to, to what it means to actually be pro-life. Like if you want to support someone's life, then you definitely don't end your support at birth. Uh, (laughs) You support them for their whole life. That's what it should mean to be pro-life because otherwise you're just pro-birth and then um, horrible death. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, (laughs) just everything you said, yes. Um, I'm sort of like, my brain went in two different directions. One, it went to a Bill Hicks joke about the pro-life movement and also went to my own contrasting experience growing up in a church um, with my progressive pastor father, who actually did, was one of the rare, I think, Christians in this country um, that really um, cares about poor people. And that was where I got a lot of my own awareness from was seeing that model. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't even want to say it's a minority. I think it's just that the conservative Christians get all the media attention and have all the money. So, Mm -hmm. but um, that's a side note. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, that's a side note. I don't want to get us too far in Christianity, but, like, it's interesting when I think about sometimes how I, like, it was actually the Christian tradition I was brought up in. And even though I don't consider myself a Christian anymore, really, I'm kind of a spiritual mutt, I do really appreciate that I got that perspective on the Gospels of Jesus when so much of it is perverted and just, like, I mean... One of my favorite stories yeah. is Jesus going and turning over the money lenders' tables. Like, he'd be all up in those yeah. fucking mega churches. 
Yes, he would not tolerate that shit for a second. Especially if you're a biblical literalist. We made you to cut all this out because I'm going to go on a whole theology rant here. But like, if you just mm-hmm. take like the Gospels out of the rest of the Bible and just read those, it's very fucking clear what your deal is supposed to be as a Christian. And you don't even have to think Jesus was a real person. You can think it's all a fairy tale or like a metaphor for Christ's consciousness on earth or just a metaphor for how you should be a good ethical person, whatever. Like... It's, I don't understand how you can see, read the words that were supposedly spoken by this historical person, or at least the messages, and then be like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do instead. It just seems right. like such a perversion of it is a perversion. what That's the original exactly intent what was. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't want to get yeah. too far in a rabbit hole. Um, I thought we should talk about maybe like some, I wanted to give a shout out to a couple organizations I'm aware of in Colorado, or at least a couple cool Instagram accounts. And I don't know if you know of anyone in Portland working on um, trying to help houseless people or. I mean, there's so much mutual aid going on in Portland right now. There's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different groups uh, working on housing justice and racial justice and um food justice and it really um I'm trying to think I don't have like the like organization there's not it's not like organizational names but um I think like at mutual aid pdx on twitter um I'll have to double check um but like there there are a lot of networks that are are coming up in Portland especially but I think all over the country people are um I, from what I've noticed, starting to pay attention to how much power we actually have to make a difference collectively here. Yeah. And I know that there is, um, there's someone I follow on Instagram that's like Sacramento, Sacramento Houseless Union. And they know they're, they do a lot of kind of on the ground reporting. Um, there might be places like that where, you know, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, there might be similar unions or action groups. It's worth looking into. Um, you can always contact your, you know, local shelters and see what they actually need. Like, do they need socks? Do they need warm clothes? Um, and then a couple of groups that I follow on Instagram that do a good job of publicizing when there's um, going to be protests against the sweeps, at least in Denver. Um, our Denver Wall of Moms seems to do a pretty good job of sharing information about sweeps and actions if you're in the Denver area. And also, my favorite new Instagram account, All My Homies Hate Michael Hancock. Big shout out to All My Homies Hate Michael Hancock for not only doing funny memes about Michael Hancock, the fucking piece of shit mayor of Denver, but um, also kind of keeping people hooked into local actions and things they can do. So we'll put all those links at the in the show notes. Yeah. And um, for for me, a thing that I need to be better about doing, um, because it is actually super easy, is calling our representatives um, every day and, you know, making it very clear that we're not okay with um, houseless neighbors being treated like they're not people and like their shelters aren't their homes and like they aren't um, members of our community. Uh, we, you know, I, you know, I talk a lot of shit 
you know, of course, and I, part of it is because I feel so frustrated all the time. <laughs> all you can do is talk shit sometimes. <laughs> all you can do is talk shit sometimes. But we can talk shit to our elected officials, and we should be doing that. And that is a note to self as much as anything. Yeah. And on that note, y'all stay safe out there. Yeah. Stay safe. Listen to Talia's music. And uh, yeah. Thanks so much for bearing with us. <laughs> we Thanks for tuning in and supporting our project. We appreciate and love all of you. is co-produced and co-hosted by Sarah Baranowskis and Emily Yates. Our guests on this episode have been Talia of Talia's featured on this episode are We're Here and Guns Out. And you can find out more about her music and her work in our show notes at whatthefolkpod.com, also at her website, taliakeys.com. And Thank you so much for listening. Again, we really hope that if you are loving this podcast, you'll take a minute out of your busy schedule to go and rate us and review us and give us all kinds of, you know, happy stars and sunshine and whatever the hell else um, they give you the option to do these days over there. 
And uh, yeah, we'll be back very soon. Uh, We've got even more exciting guests coming up around the bend. And until we can next be together, we hope that you will take good care of yourselves. And, you know, just uh, give yourselves a pat on the back for keeping going. Because, woo, (laughs) ha ha, it's the apocalypse, friends. (laughs) You're doing fine. Thank you.